A match made in heaven is what their fans called the Liang and Wang Xiling partnership. But the two men only partnered up just over two years ago. Before that, Wang had a different partner, Chen Hongling. At one point, the pair rose to world's number four. But Chen, who is nine years Wang's senior, decided to give up his spot and take up a coaching role, thereby opening the way for Li to partner up with Wang. On Saturday, the badminton duo took home the gold medal at the Tokyo Games. Wang and Li stood on the Olympic podium and hung the gold medal around each other's necks. The two have been playing as partners for just over two years, but they have actually known each other for much longer than that. Wang even admitted that he never liked playing against Li back in the day. I didn't enjoy playing against him from junior high to high school, even into college. When I had him as an opponent, I never liked his returns because they made me quite uncomfortable. From not liking Lee to becoming his partner with whom he developed a strong rapport, Wang had the partner that would help propel them to victory. But few people know that the winning duel would not have been formed if Wang's former partner Chen Hongling had not decided to give up his spot as a player and become a coach. At the time, Chen was already 31 or 32, and Wang was nine years younger, around 22-23. That's when we had to think about our strategy for the next stage. So at that time, we went around looking for a suitable candidate, someone in the country who was the best candidate to partner with Wang, and Li Yang was at the top of the list. Chen is now 35. Back in 2015, he and Wang rose to the number four spot in the world. In 2019, Wang's partner changed from Chen to Li, and all hopes were on Li's ability to rapidly attack. Chen Hongling's strong point was that he had the technical skills. He played intelligently and had a sharp eye on the court, but his attacks were relatively weaker. Li, on the other hand, attacked more aggressively than Chen. According to the head coach's analysis, Wang had always had a shot at a medal no matter whom he partnered with. But having considered what's best for the team in the long term, Chen decided to give up his player status, left the limelight, and took up the coaching role. The formation of this three-way partnership gave the duo the strongest backing they could have asked for. No wonder Wang and Li's fans have called their pairing a match made in heaven. August 1st marks Taiwan's Indigenous People's Day. On this day, 27 years ago, the legal term for Indigenous peoples in the Constitution was rectified from the previous label of Mountain Compatriots. On Sunday, the Council of Indigenous Peoples organized a retrospective at the Grand Hotel. President Tsai Ing-wen delivered a pre-recorded speech calling for respect for and recognition of Taiwan's Indigenous communities. Many indigenous athletes who competed at the Tokyo Olympics also proudly proclaimed their indigenous names that were long silenced in the past. On behalf of the Council of Indigenous Peoples, Olympic gold medalist Guo Xinchun and the silver medalist Yang Yongwei, among others, shared videos and in them their indigenous names on August 1st. The combined video opened the retrospective event marking the 27th anniversary of Indigenous Peoples' official recognition. 
They not only gave stellar performance in sports, what I'm even more pleased is that they have always emphasized indigenous pride. This is very different from the past when indigenous people would try as hard as possible to conceal their native identities from everyone else. Their confidence and the way they showcase their pride of their identities is very different from the situation 20-some years ago. We have been promoting historical and transitional justice for indigenous peoples. The Council of Indigenous Peoples has published a series of books on the history of Taiwan's indigenous peoples. The Ministry of Education has added indigenous perspectives to the nation's primary and secondary school curriculum. And the Ministry of Culture has encouraged museums, large and small, to curate exhibitions that display the diverse cultural heritage of Taiwan's indigenous groups. In 2016, President Tsai issued a national apology to the country's indigenous population, admitting past violations on indigenous rights. On the same occasion, she also asked that the government genuinely reflect on this past. Since then, President Tsai has called for the public's recognition of indigenous rights every year. Press freedom in Hong Kong has come under severe pressure since the enactment of the Beijing-imposed national security law last year. This June, the closure of Apple Daily became the final nail in the coffin. Now, with pro-democracy politicians in the city being arrested or resigning en masse, many wonder if there will ever again be voices of opposition in Hong Kong. Join us tonight as we look at the events that led to the final print edition of Apple Daily on June 23rd and talk to those who look to the future in the city shrouded in darkness. Here's our Sunday special report. On June 23, 2021, Hong Kong tabloid Apple Daily announced that the next day's paper would be its last. In the afternoon following the announcement, readers of the paper braved heavy rain to stand outside the company's building and give staff sunflowers as a show of support. By the evening, more people had arrived outside the Apple Daily building. They shouted slogans and urged the paper to press on. The cheering seemed endless, and inside the building, reporters toiled at their stations to the end, painstakingly preparing the paper's last edition. The front page headline was a solemn farewell to the people of Hong Kong. On its last day, Apple Daily printed 10 times its usual run, 10 million copies for a city of 7 million people. The paper wasn't delivered until late into the night. Huge lines of people formed in front of newsstands, stretching from one block to the next. This is the Hong Kong People's last newspaper. 
even in 50 or 100 years from now, there won't be another paper for Hong Kong's people as this one was. Freedom of speech had become restricted. Many of the city's residents feel this pressure. However, for those working at Apple Daily, this pressure and fear is definitely a thousand times, even ten thousand times, what we feel. Just thinking about it distresses me greatly. Next Digital occupies an important space in Hong Kong's media. Yet in just a few short months, the Hong Kong government was able to tear down this media giant of 26 years. On June 30, 2020, China's national security law for Hong Kong was formally enacted. The new law took aim at behavior seen by Beijing as subversion of state power, Hong Kong separatist activity, terror acts and collusion with foreign powers. Unlike other laws in Hong Kong, national security law cases can only be presided over by judges selected by the city's chief executive. The highest penalty for violating the law is life imprisonment, and suspects may be tried in Chinese courts. Simply put, Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam can appoint a judge to establish a trial in cases involving the national security law. In any normal democratic country, this would be considered unreasonable. But in drafting the national security law, the Chinese Communist Party intentionally designed it this way. Empowering the chief executive to directly set up a trial essentially means that there is no separation between the judiciary and the administration. There is no way to have an independent judiciary. Just over a month after the national security law was enacted, the Hong Kong government set its sights on the press. On August 10, 2020, the offices of Next Digital were raided, and high-level staff members, including Next Digital founder Jimmy Lai, were arrested. The suspects were charged with collusion with foreign powers. Then, on June 17, 2021, another 500 police officers descended upon Apple Daily. They confiscated reporters' computers and arrested executives Royston Chow and Chung Kim Hong. Shortly after that, the police froze the assets of three companies under the umbrella of Next Digital and ordered banks not to handle transactions for Next Digital. Business partners that wanted to provide funds were unable to make a deposit, leaving the company in desperate straits. On the morning of June 23rd, the company announced that top Apple Daily columnist Young Ching Ki was arrested. That was the last nail in the coffin for Apple Daily. Why did they shut down so abruptly? It was because the chief editor wasn't part of the company's management. He wasn't one of the chairpersons. So they felt that if things continued that way, the police activity would continue and many more people would be arrested. Based on our understanding, some of the Apple Daily reporters have fled Hong Kong to protect themselves and their families. There are also others in the process of leaving the city for new homes elsewhere. Those reporters who have stayed behind to carry on their work have begun to worry about their ability to do objective reporting. They are unsure when the time for their own arrest will come. You 
You just don't know where the red line is. You guys from Taiwan are foreign press, and whether there will be problems that arise from talking with foreign press, I really don't know. If the day arrives when police show up at my door saying I violated the national security law and arrest me, only then will I know there was a problem. Hong Kong Journalists Association Chairman Ronson Chan makes it clear that even in being interviewed by foreign press, he is filled with worry. Nevertheless, for the sake of press freedom, he is unwilling to remain silent. Nobody comments on how these actions by police impact press freedom, freedom of speech, or the development of the media in Hong Kong. It's very rarely discussed. So, as a chairman of the Journalists' Association, I can't not accept an interview. I must speak up. If I don't speak up, nobody will. Following the death of Apple Daily, the CCP's 100th anniversary was marked on July 1st by the near-identical front pages of every Hong Kong newspaper. You look at the newsstand and all the front page of all the papers is the same. All of it is ads from the Hong Kong and Beijing governments, images that promote the CCP's 100th anniversary. Freedom of the press in Hong Kong no longer exists. In the Reporters Without Borders' most recent Press Freedom Index ranking 180 countries and regions, Hong Kong fell from 18th place in 2002 to 80th place in 2021. You can look at Hong Kong's media in the past. For example, there were some news agencies that took a more neutral and objective stance in their writing. However, now all of them are controlled by the CCP's propaganda wing. Put simply, any Hong Kong news outlet that remains unruly toward the CCP is forced to shut down. Once one of the freest and most vibrant cities in the world, Hong Kong is now slipping bit by bit into the darkness. The current trend in Hong Kong is for people to inform against each other. You might be on a public bus watching videos on your phone. For example, you might be watching FTV on YouTube, and next to you another passenger sees you watching this so-called reactionary content. They can take a picture of you and inform authorities. There is a hotline that they can call to inform on you. The National Security Department of the Hong Kong Police Force has established a hotline for reporting national security offenses. In the six months since the hotline was established, it has received 100,000 reports. Some people who simply displayed stickers on their doors with protest messages like Liberate Hong Kong, Revolution of Our Times, were reported by their neighbors and arrested. The situation is reminiscent of Taiwan's white terror. What Beijing is trying to do is make Hong Kong like the mainland, to erase traces of the one country, two systems framework. By making Hong Kong like the mainland, they are accelerating the integration of Greater China, so that the whole thing comes under the rubric of the one-party state. Under the oppressive nationalism of the CCP, Apple Daily was forced to close up shop. The annual July 1st human rights marches were also forcibly brought to an end. Some wonder if it's also the end of Hong Kong's silence pro-democracy camp. The CCP wants to bury an apple, 
but forgets that it's also burying seeds. These seeds will take root in the soil and grow. In their place will be unimaginable growth filling the land and rising into the sky. All throughout the mountains and valleys will be apple trees. The future of Hong Kong is unclear, but after the battles of resistance that have been fought there, the voices of freedom cannot be silenced. One day, the resistance will gain strength and overturn the suppression of authoritarianism. Turning now to the weather. Thanks to the influence of the southwestern monsoon, southern Taiwan was pummeled by persistent downpours over the weekend. Major roads in Kaohsiung, Tainan and Pingdong were flooded overnight on Saturday due to thunderstorms. According to the Central Weather Bureau, the island will be under a low-pressure system in the coming week, leading to unstable weather island-wide. Rain will continue in the south, and residents are advised to prepare for possible flooding. Thunder can be heard in the distance against the heavy downpour. It is an especially stormy night here in Kaohsiung. It's almost as if a typhoon had arrived. The city's drainage system simply cannot keep up with the heavy precipitation. What appears to be a stream here is an intersection near a lake. At the crack of dawn, here at the junction of Zhonghua and Kaishun Road, the street is still submerged in inches of rain. Traffic comes to a crawl as motorists take extra caution so that their vehicles don't break down. Good thing the rain did taper off in the morning and the flood water subsided. Still, for early rising shop owners in the area, the frightening image of the heavy rain is still fresh in their minds. Meanwhile, in Tainan, a culvert near Bao'an Railway Station was submerged under three meters of flood water. In response, authorities had to close off roads in the area as an emergency measure. Many parts of the city were also flooded. Here, some residential buildings have been flooded, despite all having installed flood barriers. Due to persistent heavy rains, both Tainan and Kaohsiung city governments announced on Saturday night that Sunday would be a day off. However, in neighboring Pingdong County, the day was not called off, and residents in some 10 townships still had to brave the storm to carry out their daily routines.